Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. But the bottom line is, is there's a lot of luck involved, but the only way to create that luck is through hard work and really wanting it. And you see the nephews of famous people or hotshots or whatever, they don't want it that bad. They get, they get put at the rung at the ladder that's above where you're going to start, but they don't progress beyond that because they just don't want it. You know, they, you need to really pursue and be diligent about it. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Thank you so much for all those who've been listening a long time. Thank you so much for all your support and for those first-time people coming to the show. Welcome. Truly appreciate it. All of you are so wonderful and so incredibly generous to listen to the show and be so kind. And because of you, that's why we're doing what we're doing That's why we're here. That's why things have been going the way they've been going. And I'm so grateful. And if you want to come to the live show at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, if you're there this summer, go to hahaha.com and type in Industry Standard and you get tickets for the live show with a very special guest that you're going to be very happy about. And as I look across from my guest, Chris Fenton, who we're here to do part two Uh, This week's podcast, really an inspirational guy, wonderful person, and has always done things the right way. When I think about Chris, I think about a guy who I remember from the days of William Morris when he was a film and television agent, and he had everything going for him and so much promise. He was one of the youngest guys to be promoted, and a guy that always seemed to be on top of it always seemed to be a really rising star in the business. Just an incredible guy. And then that ended. And then DMG, he just started working on movies like Point Break, Iron Man, and raised the bar when nobody else was working in China to do so many groundbreaking things there that had never, ever been done before. 
it just seemed like within a blink of an eye, the guy was starting with this company that might have had 25 or 35 employees. And then before I knew it, the value of the company had gone from $100 million to over $5 billion. When I look at his career and I see where he's been and what he's done and how many times he's got his legs broken and how many good and bad things have happened to him, the guy still is on the top of his game, still always presses forward, still always strives to be the best representation of himself. It's one thing if somebody does something one time, well, that's a fluke. Now, he does something two times, maybe it's a coincidence. Three times, maybe he's lucky. But you know when you're doing something right, when you do things multiple times over and over again with successful results. And that's what Chris Fenton is all about. He's a guy who consistently takes the formula of success and duplicates it over and over again. And then when you think that it's not possible for him to do something again, he breaks into a new market, a new territory, a new part of the world, China, and continues his streak of incredible success there. Worldwide domination. Isn't that what everybody wants? You put a YouTube video out in the world, you want the world to see it, and you want it to be successful. And then you want to do another one that can do the same thing. No one wants to be a one-hit wonder. There's nothing wrong with being a one-hit wonder because you're one hit more than the person who's never had a hit. But to be a guy who's been involved in one after the other after the other while treating people with dignity, respect, and kindness, while pushing the rock up the hill and getting it to the top over and over again. Let me tell you something. If you can do all of those things in your quest, in your journey, in this business or any business, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Chris Fenton has. And here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Do you ever have people work with you on a movie and you see the title of the movie? This could be the greatest script of all time, but no one's going to see this movie with this title. I've always known what Chappaquiddick was. I've been there. But I always thought it was the kind of name that would confuse people. Do you ever find a movie that you work with? Everybody's moving forward. It's great. But you're like... God, I can't stand this title. It, it happens all the time. In fact, we have another movie in theaters right now that that is is called Blockers, right? And that was an amazing script that 
you know, it was just a, it was a great idea from these writers, Jim and Brian Kehoe. They came up with this idea of, you know, imagine if you found out your daughter, and by the way, I have a daughter, is, wants to lose her virginity on prom night, which is a common kind of theme and teenagers sort of write a passage and they make a pack with a bunch of their friends and they're all going to do it and the parents find out well the fathers find out what would you what would the fathers do when they try to track them down and stop it from happening right and we're like wow that's a great universal idea go write the script and they wrote the script and it comes back and the title of the movie, uh, the title of the script is Cherries. And I'm going, that is the greatest name for this concept. And the script was absolutely hilarious. And we took it out and, and you know, it was something that we were producing. We sort of molded from the beginning with these writers. And, and we were looking for financing partner on this. And everybody loved it. It was a top blacklist script, too. And this was, what, seven years ago or something. And, and uh Ultimately, everybody passed because they were too nervous. Like, how do you make a movie called Cherries about the subject matter? Like, how, you know, it seems like it. And this was before the Me Too movement and everything else. And ultimately, Nathan Kahane, great friend. I don't know if you've come across Nathan over, over the years, but he was running Good Universe with Joe Drake. And we were... He was like, I love it, but I just don't know if we can do it. And we're sort of foreign sales driven, all that kind of stuff. So it looked like he was teetering. And then cut to we're at the school where our daughters go to school together. And our daughters were best friends, uh, Kaylee and his his girl, Charlie. And they're, and they're playing in the, and it was some like open house or something. We're watching them play like on the jungle gym. And I go, Nathan, someday they're going to be, 15 16 going to the prom and we're gonna be worried about what's going on like that script cherries and he's like i know i was just thinking about that maybe we should take a chance with it so ultimately he took a chance and and wow we brought Kay cannon on board and seth rogan and everybody and and then we changed the name to it was actually called the pact and then it got changed to blockers and you know it was made for 18 million dollars and it's probably going to go past 60 and it, and it worked right but but it, there's no one who sees one piece of marketing for that film anywhere in the universe that i know of that says oh the name of that movie is blockers oh because you have a silhouette of a rooster right next to the thing so we all know it's cock blockers <laughs> well yeah people my my kids saw the ad and they they're 11 and they didn't understand why there was a rooster walking around on they but didn't that's get not that. a movie for 11 year olds no it's not thank goodness why don't you talk about for our audience what the blacklist is and how important it is when you're a literary agent or somebody's a producer in the business and what those scripts mean to you and how they get on that list. What was brilliant, and it, it all comes down to people thinking out of the box with their extra time on their hands, you know, when they're not going through Rolodexes and making calls. And Franklin 
I was working at Overbrook at the time as a as an executive. And Overbrook, said, by the way, is the company with Will Smith and James Lasseter, who went to school together at Overbrook High School in Philadelphia and started the company. And the rest is history. Yeah. So Franklin was said, you know what, I'm just going to start a list based on everybody's favorite scripts. And at the end of the year, I'll reveal the top 50 scripts that everybody read over the year that weren't necessarily made into a massive movie or whatever, but just sort of showcase great pieces of writing, great pieces of material that could be made into a movie someday. And and over time, that list that he would put together became more and more important for studios looking to find the next writer than, you know, a call from the top literary agent. And in fact, it got to the point where where people would politic and try to find who the voters were that were influencing who Franklin put on the list. And, and I'm convinced if you look at the list on a yearly basis, there's definitely some management companies and agencies that know exactly who the voters are and are gearing uh, whatever they're doing for favors to get some votes because some of them do seem to have an out. Out, uh, outweighted number of votes for some of their clients. And since that started approximately, in your opinion, out of 100% pie of all the blacklisted scripts since the program began until now, what percentage get made in the theaters? And what percentage get bought? Well, that's a great question. I think um, it's a blacklist at some point, I don't know if it carries as much weight as it did as it, at its peak. And Franklin's doing a great job of sort of morphing the company into new incarnations. And he has all kinds of different side businesses involved with it. So he's he's not I mean, he's a very shrewd and smart businessman who's who's taking a great brand and building on it. But at one point, I would say it was a self-fulfilling prophecy where if something was unrecognized, but made the blacklist suddenly became recognized. And then it had a really good chance of getting bought and made into a movie. Right. So the, the stuff that was on the blacklist, most of it wasn't in production or in developer made, maybe not even acquired by any entity, but once it got on the blacklist, it all changed. And so the boom, you said close to 400 scripts a year today, what would you say the amount of spec scripts bought a year? You know, it's amazing because you you would see breaking news from Deadline or Variety or Hollywood Reporter or The Wrap. Those are for for anybody listening to this podcast that wants to understand the business more. Those are probably the four great trade magazines to to get your information from and decipher, you know, what's hype and what's a press release and what's real news. Um but you would see every day a spec being bought or being in the hot sort of bidding situation or whatever. And that was back in the heyday. Today, I think you could go weeks without seeing a piece of material bought. It's really quite unbelievable. I don't know if we're going too far past the 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 place of, of a dead spec market and then suddenly things are gonna have to ramp up again because there's so much there's not enough stuff on the shelf to develop. I'd, I'd like to believe that for writers out there that that there will be sort of pent up demand. Um, but it does seem like for for now, buyers are very, very diligent and and efficient about how they're looking at development and just buying specs to hopefully make into a movie is not a way they're doing it. And then the other thing that's happened is 
when 400 specs were being bought, there were also 40 or 50 viable buyers out there. Now you really only have five or six major studios, depending on how you quantify them. And then, and then a handful of mini studios. Well, I want to go way, way back. Talk about where you grew up, what the dynamic was economically, what your family was like, and what your inspiration was into getting into this crazy business. Right. So I uh, grew up, I was born and raised in, in Singer Island, Florida, which was an island north of Palm Beach. Uh, very different social demographic, uh, economic uh, set up than Palm Beach, yet we were across the Palm Beach Inlet. In fact, if I walked to the end of our street, I could see the Kennedy compound sitting over there. Um, uh, I would say middle class to upper middle class. My my dad was a, a very accomplished engineering. He got his master's in engineering and was working for Pratt and Whitney Aircraft. And and then he, um, he, he got transferred to Connecticut when I was entering high school. So I went to high school at arguably a, a high school that could have been used in any John Hughes movie. It was exactly the same as any John Hughes high school. Um, and it was fantastic because it was, I went from a small private school in Florida to this big, you know, 1600 kid high school, saw all the different, you know, uh, different sort of niches of, of high school society. And, and during that time I graduated in 89. So, um, through fresh freshman through senior year was really the height of of kids that age renting uh going to blockbuster or whatever the video store was and renting movies and we were watching every movie you could get your hand on in fact i remember walking down you know aisles in the video store and just seeing movies you never heard of but but oh emilio estevez was in that movie let's run it you know and you and you realize oh well that's that was a movie that never got a theatrical release but it had his picture on the cover and you want to go see it. Um, so we, that moved from real pop cultural to, you know, we thought we were cool watching the river's edge or blue velvet or Paris, Texas, or, you know, how many times could you watch a David Lynch movie or whatever it was. And, and that combined with really getting in the music because we, we happen in Glastonbury, Connecticut to be the first people on our cul-de-sac with a CD player. And, and, we bought the first CDs and people would come over and listen to Rush, you know, Time Stand Still on a DDD DVD or a CD, which meant like it was digitally recorded onto a digitally remastered CD. And it sounded so amazing. And then Brothers in Arms, Dire Straits, the same thing. And and then you go and get the remastered stuff like the Doors, Morrison Hotel and stuff. And then, and then that got us super into music. So between those four years of high school was when I really got into music and and movies and even TV because that was Wonder Years and Cheers and, and things that you would watch the episodes five, six times when it hit rerun and, and you knew every line of, of every character and, and every episode. And I think that just germinated into a love for pop culture. Uh, it wasn't like oh, I was a, cinema, a cinephile or or a music savant or anything like that. It was just pop culture. That seemed cool. And then I went to Cornell University, got a an engineering degree, 
in uh, biological engineering. And when I graduated in 93, um, we were going through a bit of a recession, so I didn't have a job. And I was also inspired by Kurt Vonnegut, who I'd seen speak at, at Cornell to try writing. So I came up with this idea of, you know, after after reading John Knowles and Separate Peace and Brett Easton Ellis and American Psycho and all that kind of stuff, what what about what if there was a sequel to Catcher in the Rye where Holden Caulfield went to college? What would that book be? And I wrote this book called uh, My Ivy Walls or Behind These Ivy Walls. The title changed a few times, and 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 I actually finished it on the road when I was traveling the country trying to find a place to live. You backpacked across the country. I didn't backpack. Well, I sort of backpacked. I had a really beat up car with everything I owned in it, and I would go to different colleges and stay at my fraternity house until they kicked me out. And eventually I got to Boulder, Colorado, and I stayed for quite some time until I finally got kicked out. And then I got to Vegas and rented a room at Circus Circus for 65 bucks a week <laughs> to live there as long as you went to the casino for an hour a day. So I'd play nickel slots and sometimes I'd be up 60 cents and sometimes I'd lose 75 cents, whatever it was. And I only ate one meal a day, which was the lunch buffet. I would starve myself and then just sit at the buffet for three hours. And I was gonna, I enrolled in blackjack dealing school and I was gonna take advantage of this whole boom that was happening in Vegas at the time. MGM Grand was about to open. It was gonna be a family, City. It was what, the only city that was growing because at the time, Southern California was losing people to Nevada and Colorado or whatever. And then a buddy of mine lost his roommate because he sh fled back to upstate New York or whatever. And he was like, I'm spending $640 a month in the studio in Westwood. Like, would you at least come out, take a look at LA and see if you want to move in or whatever? So I left all my stuff at Circus Circus, came out, visited him. Never left. Left all my stuff back at the hotel. Stayed here. I was in awe. First of all, L.A. was completely different than I thought because all I knew from L.A. was from pop culture. So I was shocked to find that the Sunset Strip wasn't across the street from the Venice Boardwalk. I thought for sure, like, you walk from White Men Can't Jump basketball court to the Whiskey A Go-Go to the Viper Room. And then I was also amazed that I, I just felt like the Hollywood sign was Mount Fuji. So no matter where you were in the city, you could look up and see the Hollywood sign. I had no idea that it was very hard to see unless you were right by it. <laughs> and then I thought the whole town was just one big soundstage, like everywhere. And, you know, you had to really look around to find a soundstage. So it was pretty interesting. But I, I moved here and I was like, why doesn't everybody live in this city? This is insane. It's so great. And you got your first job at the Olive Garden and you Olive realized Garden. it wasn't so great anymore. I was employee of the month and, and met two guys that were on a double date there, uh, a guy named Chris Moore and Chris Salvatera. And, and Chris said, come play in this basketball league. I show up at the league. They had just done this details magazine photo shoot because they had a bunch of young Hollywood in there. None of none of the people I knew, but it was. It was literally, I show up and, you know, you think back of who was on, in that league. It was everybody from Jason Heyman to Ben Affleck, uh, Brendan Fraser. I mean, it was crazy when you think of who was in that league. And then that league led to my first interview, which was with Jonathan Branstein, who was Emilio Estevez's. Emilio Estevez's partner at the time at Avatar, which was like the hot production company. I remember walking in there, walking on the Disney lot and just being like shell shocked and then walking in 
and Branstein, Emilio's in one room and I can hear him talking. I was just like, oh my God, I love Emilio Estevez. He's so awesome. And then Branstein was like 23 at the time running this company. Um, really good guy. And he had the banging Olsen stereo on the wall. I'm like, oh my God, this is so Hollywood. And he kept having to interrupt our interview because he was chasing a spec script called Mango, which was about a cop and an orangutan that were busting up a big drug cartel or something. And it, and they finally got Disney to offer like $500,000 for the script and they lost it because somebody bought it for $900,000. And I was like, isn't that any which way but loose? And they're like, no, it's different. It's updated. It's modernized and it's called Mango. And I'm like, wow, this is such a great business. Are you kidding me? Anyway, I didn't get the assistant job there. And then the next, the next um, interview I had was with Tom Strickland. I'll never forget. I walk in there and he's like, you're the only non-Harvard grad I've ever interviewed. And he's like, you better try to impress me because you went to a safety school. And and I didn't impress him because I didn't get that job. And then eventually I got a temp job as a music fax clerk at the William Morris Agency. And it was unbelievable because I sat there just reading every fax deal memo that I had to send out. Learned everything about the hell freezes over touring the Eagles and the you know, the Pearl Jam fight with Ticketmaster because Ticketmaster wanted to charge $21 a ticket instead of the $18 that Pearl Jam wanted to charge. It was amazing. And Kurt Cobain died during that. And, and I was living right down the street and on 20440 PCH. And it was just, it was You incredible. were there during the earthquake. Yeah, I moved here two weeks before the earthquake, which was incredible because we got flooded out of that Westwood studio because a water main broke in it and at 4 a.m. and we're like what the hell is going on and my roommate the first thing he does because he's a smoker is he lights a match to try to walk around and of course later you find that's the last thing you want to do after an earthquake but that was crazy because everybody's out in the street and crying and everything and my roommate goes i think this happens all the time out here <laughs> I'm like, really? That seemed like a big earthquake. <laughs> so fortunately, that does happen all the time. But then we moved to Malibu. And when we moved to Malibu, like Las Flores and all that stuff, it was all chimneys because they had just had those fires that rushed through and burnt down every house. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I'm excited to introduce a new award-winning groundbreaking product to all of you and I'm talking about Boku Superfoods. 
These are the highest quality, most nutrient-dense superfood formulations on the planet and the healthiest thing a person could ever consume. They're filled with the most powerfully nutritious and healthiest parts of the plants, vegetables, roots, and fruits that are doctor-formulated into a blend of naturally healthy, easily digestible proteins that are certified organic, kosher, and vegan with no soy, no dairy, whey, or fillers of any kind. All you have to do is go to bokusuperfoods.com. That's B-O-K-U superfoods.com. Type in the promo code Barry. Check out all their products, and you'll get 20% off everything, which you can't find in any store in the world. I'm telling you, I use these products. They're the highest quality. They're vine-ripened, harvested fresh, dried at low temperatures, and then gently powdered. These extraordinary powders are then blended into delicious concentrates that when reintroduced to liquid, unleash the strongest levels of healing nutrition for your body that you will ever experience. So check out the entire range of organic Boku Superfood products at bokusuperfoods.com, promo code Barry, and save 20% off store-wide. Look your best, feel your best, and flood your body with a tidal wave of nature's most potent organic superfoods. There is no other choice. How did you navigate it, William Moore? So many people want to move up. Normally they start in the mailroom. You start below the mailroom. You start as a temp. Now, many people, including myself, believe that the temp is actually a better position to start than the mailroom because the temp, you get to be on somebody's desk right away before the training in the mailroom. In the mailroom, you have to put the year in, and if you don't put the year in, they send you back. But that's okay, I feel, because if you're a temp and you're creating the relationships, if they do send you back, you're okay because you've already built your way up. Whereas in the mailroom, you might never even get out. I'm not sure how it works now, but at the time, you really, the only way to become an agent was really through the mailroom. So you needed to figure out how to get in the mailroom. And then the mailroom was sort of the wax on, wax off, Mr. Miyagi type of thing where you, you learn through osmosis and then you found the next uh, assistant gig and and whatever that was and I happened when I was in the mail room I was able to once I got promoted to the mail room I was able to call my parents and say hey I got promoted to the mail room at William Morris and they said why are you working at a cigarette company I was like no 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 William Morris it's a you know like talent <laughs> agents and they're like great and you're in the mail room now and I was like yeah well I wasn't in the mail room before now I'm in the mail room and it was very weird because it was 300 bucks a week. That's all you made. So I was teaching SAT courses out here in Malibu to make ends meet. Um, and and actually, the Malibu parents pay really well to teach them their kids uh, SAT. It's probably uh, still close to three hundred dollars a week. I think it's. I think it is. I mean, it has become a bit of a trust fund business now. I don't know how kids do it, um, but I'm Jerry Katzman brought me into his office and he was the vice chairman of William Morris at the time. He called me in my office because he said, <laughs> he goes, where did you get those suits? And I said, why you like the suit? And he's like, they're not great suits. And I said, I said, Mr. Katzman, I don't have a lot of money. And I bought these suits at a really nice store. And he's like, where'd you buy them? I said, well, there's a store up in Hollywood Boulevard and Vine. And I got three of them. And he's like, how much did it cost you for three suits? And I said, $99. And he's like, where'd they make? And where are they made? And I said, 
Yugoslavia. <laughs> and he's like, well, those are the worst suits I've seen anybody wear. But because of that, I'm going to let you be my morning assistant. I became his morning assistant. And and then trying to find where you land after a mailroom is always difficult because everybody wants the same job. They all want to be talent agent assistants or something in motion picture. And then Mark Itkin's job opened up. Mark Itkin, one of the greatest reality agents in the business. Yeah. And he was, he was the head of the TV syndication and cable department. So when his desk opened up, Jerry called me in his office and he presses the button and the door closes and he goes, so what kind of agent do you want to be when you get promoted someday? And I go, well, motion picture. And he was like, no, you don't. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you want to be a TV syndication cable agent someday? And I go, no, I don't think I do. He's like, yeah, you do. Go up to Mark Aitken's office and tell him that's what you want to be. So here's the first part of the podcast where Chris Fenton acknowledges that he lies. <laughs> well, I went up there. I knew that Jerry had my best interest at heart. And, and what he later told me is he said, look, the goal is to be to be to be an assistant, to go from being an assistant to having an assistant as quickly as possible. Once you become somebody who has an assistant, you can then open up other doors and move to where you want to be. But he's like, if you want to stay in the motion picture business, it's going to take you six years to get promoted. But you go and play it right with Mark, you can get promoted in a year or whatever it was. So I went up there and, and then Mark goes, well, what's TV syndication? And I go, I, I had no idea. I go, I don't know. I think of it like, as, you know, shows that aren't all that good that, I don't know, I watch every once in a while. He's like, what? And I said, well, Baywatch. He's like, well, do you know what the word syndication means? I was like, no, I don't. He's like, who sent you up here? I said, Jerry Katzman. He's like, oh, that motherfucker. <laughs> so anyway, we go on and I tell him my history and then he hires me. And then lo and behold, like literally just as I turned 24 years old, boom, got my stripes as an agent in his department, youngest agent at William Morris. And suddenly TV syndication and cable agent. And in a way, everybody's selling widgets and it's just who who looks like they're going to work their butt off and really wants it who seems to have that affable type of ability to make relationships and network to to rain make and bring in new business and who has the ability to sell like who can take something that's not a perfect 10 but make somebody feel like it is a perfect 10 um and i think you know i just really wanted it there's a lot of people um, and this is important for your podcast audience. Like a lot of people go, oh, I don't my my nephew. I'm not Steven Spielberg's nephew or I don't know anybody in the business. Well, guess what? I didn't know a single person in the business. Nobody. I didn't even know what the business was. I literally thought it was you were either an actor or a director and that's all the business was. It wasn't until I got out here where I realized at the time was sort of considered Wall Street of the 90s and there were a lot of opportunities and everything. But the bottom line is, is is there's a lot of luck involved but the only way to create that luck is through hard work and really wanting it and you see the nephews of famous people or hot shots or whatever they don't want it that bad they get they get put at the rung at the ladder that's above where you're gonna start but they don't progress beyond that because they just don't want it you know they you need to really pursue and be diligent about it but then 
somebody walks in your office one day and says, we're going to make a change. I need you to take your banker's box with your plant on the top and I need you to walk out of here and you're not coming back. Take our audience through that day when you thought everything was going well and then the hammer drops and how you came back as strong as you did. Yeah, I'll never forget getting getting fired, but there was a there was a particular boss that I had at William Morris that we we co-repped in a client together and that client left and it was definitely very easy to pin the blame on the the younger agent. So I got that combined with a variety of other sort of political issues. And it was after I had signed a new deal. So that was a nice, a, little, a bit of a new, a nice cushion. But I'll never forget walking into the office with the two heads of our division. And they had a, a, a the music was playing in there. You had a stereo on and, and, and U2's Beautiful Day happened to be playing in the background. And I was just like, wow, that's sort of interesting. I remember that. But um, I got I got fired. What do they say? You walk in, you sit down. What happens? Well, it's, you know, and I know typically in, in your interviews, you ask most disappointing moments in, in business or whatever. And and I can say that, that that moment was very disappointing to me for a variety of reasons. But one was... I realized that that the art of being a great agent um, in the eyes of being indispensable at an agency wasn't necessarily one built on teamwork. Like I had spent a lot of my time moving um, in different directions based on what the company really wanted me to do. And during that process, I, I wasn't able to keep or keep building on a client based in one particular area. And then um, because I literally had started in TV and then moved in motion picture lit and then they asked me to move into talent. Um, And I did all that because they needed good people in, in, in those areas. But when you do that, you do have to at a big agency, everybody's very siloed. So you do have to give great clients to the different departments that you're leaving and start fresh in the new. Um, so for me, it was a, it was disappointing because they said there were a couple clients they had hoped I had, or potential clients they had hoped I had signed. Um, what was interesting about those potential clients that, that, that I, I should have signed is that there were political issues inside of the agency that I didn't know how to address. So I ultimately, for instance, one was a very large client who happened to be at CAA and he was ready to do a meeting with me and Dave Warshafter, and it was set up through his production partner. And the production partner wanted me to keep the manager from knowing that the meeting was happening. And the manager happened to be a friend of mine, but I knew that they were in a little bit of a tight uh, problem between in their relationship. And I didn't know how to properly address that situation. So rather than go behind the back of a friend of mine who was a manager, I decided to cancel the meeting. Um, and mm-hmm. actually I revealed to that manager two months ago what, what what happened this many years later. And and his response was like, why didn't you tell me? I would have I would have helped you figure out how to deal with that. Like we could have done that together. And I was thinking, honestly, I thought it was too 
too difficult a landmine and I didn't know how to play it. And then the second one was another huge client that I'd gotten really tight with. And it turned out one of the internal agents that I was trying to sign the person with had a bad falling out with the manager and the manager wanted that guy off the team. And I didn't know exactly how to address it because that guy was very tight with some very high up people at the agency. And ultimately, because I felt like I had to take it for the team and just let that go, certain signings didn't occur. And and then when I think back about it, I go, what was disappointing, number one, was the team playing feel that I had for William Morris and the way I wanted to do it and do it right ended up biting me in the ass because I couldn't build up the client list that I wanted to protect me when I had political issues. Because, you know, if you have a killer list, they're going to put up with whatever's going on politically between you and somebody else. And number two was the 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 ability that I had to betray others or to do something that I felt like ethically ethically or morally wasn't right or wasn't in line with my moral compass burned me because I couldn't I couldn't push that aside and go and make something business-wise happen that was probably a lot better for my career, but not good for me internally and to who I am. So that was a disappointment because it ultimately led to me getting fired. Take our audience through how you came about with the company you're at right now, DMG. That was a 17-year run. I think, well, number one is there's, I mean, I I believe a lot of people don't really have a, a, a... a game plan that they start with that they f- they they follow to a T throughout their career, right? I mean, it's more about creating things that that generate opportunities, and then hopefully you follow the right path and it turns into something great. I mean, imagine if I took the Ben Silverman job at Lo- in London, that would have been a whole nother crew. Or take the 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 cable packaging job. Who knows? I might have been a cable cable network president by twenty nine or something like that. So you just you hope you're following what you think is the best path to go, um, you know, and you're hoping you're making the right type of uh, of decisions, because quite frankly, I, I turned down Ben's London job mainly because I was like a young guy that was barely an agent who had a William Morris business business card living at the time in Humphrey Bogart's old house with five other guys. And going, why would I ever leave Los Angeles to go to London? I mean, that that wasn't a business decision. That was a decision based on where would I rather live. But thinking back, I go, God, that's I'm, that wasn't the smartest decision in the world. Hey, everybody. I know I've talked a lot on this show about AquaTrue, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter. It has a nice pitcher. It has a press button where the water comes out and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies you just put your tap water in there and it purifies it takes out all the bad chemicals everything out 
and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better. And this product is amazing. I have one, everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. And you should too, I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry, that's B-A-R-R-Y, and you'll immediately get the huge discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. Industrystandardwater.com, promo code Barry, and you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again. You have to convince the people who are buying the company or absorbing the company that goes from, like I said, 35 to 900 employees during your time. You have to convince them that you can do it. You can find this new area of business. When the deal was consummated and started and it's your first month, was on your erase board China? Yeah, what's interesting is when I was at William Morris, I came across Dan Mintz, who was one of the co-founders of DMG, and we, we created a relationship together, and he had directed a really interesting small movie called Cookers, and and the thought was maybe he becomes another David Fincher or somebody out of that commercial um, world, out of the independent film world, and becomes a, the next great director. Um, when I got fired, it just so happened the company was looking for new business out of North America, and he was there full-time in China, as were the other partners, and he said, look, I, I need somebody that knows how to connect the dots, create new businesses, you know, chase after things that I hear could be things that we could execute in China. Will you do that while you're doing, you know, other parts of your business? And I said, great, let's figure out a fee for that, et cetera. And what was great is, is that a lot of the stuff that I was doing, whether it was creating joint ventures with other advertising agencies or helping production service work occur for Miramax or Fox or whatever on the ground in China, um, that was all at least enough inside of the network that I had so that I could connect the dots and create that business. And it was a great symbiotic relationship with me finding the players that would bring that type of a business and and an opportunity um, to the the plate for execution in China, and then being affiliated with this company that could execute anything on the ground in China, which was very difficult, and doing it in a relatively Western type of way, because China is a very foreign country um, in many respects. And I did go visit there in early two thousands, and and saw the opportunity on the ground there for the amount of growth and where that market was going. So it was obvious that there was a huge huge opportunity there. So I said, yes, bring me on board. Happy to do that. And then what was great is that the the Olympics occurred in 2008 and the central government there put a mandate out on the other, the types of industries they want to grow now that the Olympics are behind them. And the film business was one of them. And that's right around time when the WGA strike and everything was occurring. So I said, well, if 
if the movie business is where they want to focus and that's the business I know really well and that's the business that Dan and his partners really enjoy being a part of then let's do that all day long like let's figure out smart ways to implement what I'm really good at on this side of the Pacific and what they're really good at on that side of the Pacific and that's where it led to me going to the different markets and and buying films for pennies on the dollar that we would distribute in China for the first time, you know, non-studio movies were getting released. And it was because the DMG team was figuring out ways to get those released over there. And then it led to us getting involved early in movies like Looper and Iron Man 3 and a variety of others and doing things that had never been done before. And that was super cool to me. Like that was where I, you know, you yeah, you want to make some, you want to make money and have a cool job and, you know, and visit interesting places and get to know interesting people and learn and learn and learn. But if you're in a job where you actually do stuff that's never been done before, that is to me like the ultimate. And it's why I find it so interesting. Even now, seven, seven weeks out as a free agent, like there's certain jobs, yes, that have come my way and, and, I, you know, I'm not sure if I want them or, you know, if, I, if I'm going to pursue them or not, or, you know, maybe have passed on. And then there's others where I'm like continuing to have the conversations because I see real opportunity to do historic things. Like one of them is the Saudi Arabia initiative. I would love to be in the mix there in the right kind of way where I can help them do what they need done on the ground and help Hollywood get risk mitigation capital and some of the stuff that they see that's interesting to them in regards to a growing market. There's a really interesting sort of first time ever type of mix that could occur there. So bottom line is, is, is what what happened with the dmg thing happened because it had to happen the business was morphing into something else we had the wga strike it just so happened that a lot of events were occurring at the same time and it looked like the right path to follow down and it 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 came into my skill set and my network where i could provide that extra addition that you're saying is important what what is my value add what can i do 17 years how psychologically is it because a lot of people are in jobs all across the world to pour their heart and soul into something they see what's going on they see how much money they've gone from and documented it in this podcast how do you deal with the fact of leaving and this transition and do you look at it as something that's one of the most positive new journeys in your life or are you kind of still thinking to yourself I don't really know where I'm going to land or how I'm going to land. And there's an uneasiness. Well, one, one thing that I've, I mean, we talked about moral compass and everything, and, and it still makes me upset that I have a hard time with doing things that, that, that are slightly in the gray, but I do have a hard time with that. And one thing is, you know, I was never able to date two girls at the same time. Right. And I did have the opportunity when, when my last five year ended at the end of the year, to, to re-up in some way and, and arguably look for another gig while I'm doing that, right? Um, that, that just didn't really sit right with me. I mean, I've had a really long um, tenure with, with the founders of that company. We, we built a lot of really interesting business together. And I put together a team on the ground in the U.S. that could handle a lot of the stuff that I do. So I felt like it was a good time to sort of say, hey, look, 
I I had a great 17-year run. I think now is a smart time. And we just had closed the Valiant transaction too, which was a big piece of IP that took four years to close. I felt like the legacy was set up well for me to move on. The risky part is, is, hey, at my level in the business, how many jobs are there that are open at the right time? I mean, timing's everything, right? Where I can jump into something else. So in a way it's a little scary and it's a little bit of a risk. The nice part is financially, I'm not totally pressured to have to take anything. And I feel like the skill set that I built up and the relationships have given me that, that hopefully that force field that allows me to get that perfect job that I want. I mean, I know there's jobs out there I can take, but there's also some jobs that I got to chase a little bit. And then on top of it, there's amazing companies like I'm going to join the advisory board of this amazing cloud storage company called Wasabi that's created by David Friend, who created Carbonite. He's now got a storage system in the cloud that is six, you know, it's essentially 20% the price of Amazon. It's six times faster, right? Why not do that? Then there's, you know, Wondery has a great relationship with this company, Wonder, that's run by Andy Kleiman, another great business that, you know, Andy and I have been talking about maybe doing something together there. Um, there's a lot of really interesting businesses here in the U.S. that I feel like being an advisor for will be a lot of fun to do while I look for the next full-time job. And then even in China, I mean, this company Reach Glory, which I'm going to be working with, is 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 a really interesting conduit between brands and brand integration with the content process, content creating process, both here in the U.S. and in China, and exposing brands in ways that are really smart, not product integration or whatever. So. There's a lot of companies that need help, especially from guys like you, too. I mean, Barry, you probably have your pick of all these people that want to, like, pick your brain and ask, like, what, what should I do here? Or what should I do there? And what's interesting, if you put enough of those together, suddenly you're going, why do I want a full time job? And then <laughs> on, other, on other aspects, you're going, well, you know, like, I need the thrill of the full time job. Plus, I want to have this stuff going on. So. It's interesting. We'll see. We'll see where it lands. But right now it's fun and it's been going on for seven weeks and it allows me to have longer conversations about M&M with my kids. You've always struck me as a leader of men and women. It's something that I want my kids when they go out in the world, be a leader. This is what I don't understand and I want you to share it with me. No one is more qualified to start their own company than you in probably five different lanes. Why isn't that an option? Well, I think it is an option. It's one, one thing I'm considering. And what's, what's interesting in regards to that is for me, um, I get off on relationships and, and having partners and, and partners that are complementary to all the things that I'm not good at and that can benefit from the few things I am good at. So it is interesting talking about different businesses that seem interesting and different partners that that might be great to hook up with like another Walter Hamada or whatever so it is part of the equation it's just uh, you know one of the things that I'm not really talking about unless I find the perfect sort of mixture I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking environmentally sound product with you it's an unbelievable revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home 
operates and it will make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com. Type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me, and it'll work for you. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Just tell me what comes to mind. Robert Downey Jr. I would say consummate professional, willing to do whatever it takes for his, the investors and businesses that rely on him to do the best he can. He will bend over and do anything he needs to do to make them happy. And... Uh, just an amazing performer. Just amazing. The movie Looper and the precedence you set with that film in China. Well, I, I wouldn't take credit solo for that one. I was one of many, many people. And I think the the proudest part of that is is working with, with Dan and DMG and everybody else to, to do stuff historically that had never been done before and to also call ryan johnson an alum of our of our system because he's just a fabulous talent michael phelps well first of all an olympian that is par excellence and second to none unbelievable um and and uh an unbelievable uh endorser of of Mazda when we when we needed him to, but just a great, great professional and somebody who, by the way, made a major mistake uh, that involved a bong hit right after we closed the big deal and then said, what do I need to do to fix it? And he did it. What did he do to fix it? He essentially did one of the best, most heartfelt videotaped apologies that took essentially a lemon and made it into a lemonade johnny depp an amazing chameleon actor who's also eccentric far beyond what i imagined but a lot of fun to work with the dc warner versus marvel disney rivalry wow well uh you know it's funny i did a, a tv interview recently where i said Kevin Feige is probably the closest uh, 
of any studio exec ever to find lightning in a bottle and make it strike there twice over and over and over again. I mean, he's unbelievable, but I am rooting hard for Walter Hamada and DC films too. The box office failure of 47 Ronin. That was a disappointment because it was an amazing concept, an amazing script by Chris Morgan that ultimately just got commandeered by too many cooks in the kitchen. John Cena. Well, he could be the next rock. Seth Rogen. Just an amazing writer, creator, and performer. Political leadership in China and how it affected the business and still affects the business of entertainment to this day. Understanding the, the point of view and the agenda of the Chinese government is the most important. So they have 1.4 billion people there. They need to keep them just happy enough that they don't have a revolution. So understanding that in regards to the content you're creating and the way it creates certain aspirations or certain emotions is important. And if you don't want to play that game, that's fine. But there's a financial cost to that. And if you do want to play that game, there's a lot of investment opportunity. Keanu Reeves. Just a super nice guy that has always done it his way. Sell the seat, not the person sitting in the seat. One of the great William Morris lessons. Uh, a lot of a lot of people believe their incoming phone calls come because of who they are, not because of the seat that they're in. Um, if you're in the right seat, know that a lot of the easy stuff that comes to you is because you're sitting in the right seat. If you're on the other side of the seat and you're selling, sell to that person, be nice to that person. And when they're out of that seat, continue to be great to that person. And then be aware that there's another person that you got to get on the phone and figure out how to get, sell your wares to. Understanding and mastering the art of the outgoing phone call and the nuance of the incoming phone call. The goal of the incoming phone call is to someday be at some place in your career where people are calling you back, not because of where you work, but because of who you are. Um, the only way to get there is to somehow figure out how to get the right outgoing calls made and to justify people picking up the phone on the other end when you call them. Vacations versus work. Well, yeah, so I, I, I believe that no one, you know, no one goes down in history for what they did on vacation. Um, everybody wants to be on vacation all the time, but I feel like if you're gonna make something in your life, it's gonna come from the work that you do. And if you have to work, try to do something that's unique and original and, and something that trailblazes and makes your mark on the world. Your proudest moment in show business. Well, like a lot of your guests have said that proudest moments usually involve personal things. Um, wife and kids obviously have been amazing, but being in Beijing with my parents who happened to come to Beijing to see this premiere that we had at the forbidden city of Iron Man three, knowing how, long a journey four years that was to to get to that moment 
And then to see all the records broken with that film and to know that that film led us to be able to be one of the great sort of selling points to DMG so that it could go public and all that kind of stuff. That was very, very awesome. Biggest disappointment in show business? I was wondering whether to bring this up, but the biggest disappointment happened about a year ago last year was was J.C. Spinks passing. We talked about spec selling and a lot of this, this sort of trailblazing stuff. The incredible that, partner of Bender Spink. Yes. And and one of the biggest personalities of, of my generation, you know, I mean, there's the Bernie Brillsteins and all these guys that were different generations. But when he passed, I think um, there were a lot of disappointing parts of that, which was you know, should we have done more? Should the, you know, our, you know, friends of mine, should we have all banded together and helped them through this case? Um, the business, I think sort of let him down in a way like it changed and he re- wanted to keep it the same. There were a lot of things that, that were really sad and disappointing about that whole sort of, you know, point in time. I mean, JC, like a lot of, uh, uh, like a lot of people we know who've passed before their time did have his, his demons and, and addictions. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, friends help, help them through different stages of that. And, you know, they relapse. And we talk about Robert Downey Jr., who obviously went through very low bottom and, and now is at the absolute peak of anybody's career. Um, y- you hope that you can help people um, get back on their feet. And, and ultimately, it didn't it didn't work with JC. And I miss him very much today. And I'm still very disappointed that we couldn't have helped him more. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small town in Florida, hanging out, going to different places, backpacking across the country, trying to figure out what they want to do and working at an olive garden, maybe sharing a apartment with four people, spending $500, making $300 a week? How do you get to the next level and have the kind of opportunities and the kind of career that you've had? I, I have a philosophy which is called own all the tickets, which is, you know, life is a lottery. And, and the only way to win the lottery is to own all the tickets, which you'll never be able to own. Um, but to try to accumulate as many as you can so that maybe you, you best your chances. And I think, um, you know, the best thing somebody can do that's young and, and wanting success. And by the way, I'm still continuing on that path too. You know, you do it your whole life, but is to try to own all the tickets. And, and how do you do that? You live life to its fullest. You learn as much as you can. You meet as many people as you can. You create as big of a network as you can. You like in little league, you practice your craft as much as you can and you put all that together. And those are all tickets that you're accumulating through life. And the goal is maybe by the end of it all, you have every ticket that's buyable and you're guaranteed to win. But even if you don't get them all, you're going to better your odds to, to have the success that you're looking for. Chris Fenton, this has been amazing. Well, thanks for having me, Barry. And it was truly an honor. It was a lot of fun, too. And thanks for the audience for sitting through this. I appreciate it. Good luck to you, brother. You're one of the nicest guys in the business. And I always have remembered you and your work ethic and the way you are with people. And you're an example to everybody about how to do the right thing. Thanks, Barry. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message And one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend 
a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Ham Slaps, February 6, 2018. Great podcast. It says five stars, and the comment is amazing stories, great nuggets about the entertainment industry. Thank you, Ham Slaps. That was short but sweet, but I appreciate it, and congratulations. You are a winner. Okay, before we wrap up, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Boku Superfoods, the highest quality, healthiest superfood formulations on the planet, filled with the most nutritious parts of plants, vegetables, roots, and fruits, certified organic, kosher, and vegan. Make your own juice or smoothie in a few minutes. Just add liquid, shake it, and take it. Go to bokusuperfoods.com and type in the promo code Barry, and you'll get 20% off everything. Boku Superfoods, feel better inside and look better outside. And Aqua True, the groundbreaking small countertop water purifier. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry. Get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. And the groundbreaking documentary, I Killed JFK, and the additional interviews of five of the last remaining JFK assassination experts. It features the only living person in history to admit to killing President Kennedy. You can purchase these exclusively at IKilledJFK.com. When Trump says he wants to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? Trust me, I guarantee it will change the way you look at the world. And the incredible air purifier, the Air Doctor, that removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and everything bad in your house. You can save $300 right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and entering the promo code Barry and finally start breathing in clean and healthy air in your home starting today. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my partners at Wondery. They are truly amazing. Recently, they asked me to request if you would just take a few minutes of your time to complete a short survey. Just go to wondery.com survey, and you can do it straight from your smartphone. It would really help us out here at the show and at Wondery. That's wondery.com survey. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, because you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.